welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Today's interview on the Winged Wheel Podcast was with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic, and he is my favorite type of interview, where we ask him a question and then don't have to say anything else for about four minutes. Oh, so good. The best, the people we try to bring on um, are people who love what they do because they're passionate and they'll, they're just down to talk hockey, which is so good when you have a head cold like I do right now. And I hate the sound of my own voice more than I normally do. And even as I'm speaking to you, I can feel a sneeze coming up. And so I'm like, I don't want to hear my voice. I don't want this nasally stupid nothingness to come through the mic. And then Scott just took it away. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Brad spoiled it for you, but we have Scott Wheeler today. Uh, we're going to get into that interview for uh, in a second. Uh, Evan made it out here. This was your best timing ever, by the way. Was you, it? Yeah, you timed this beautifully. We just wrapped up and then you, you got here. So Yeah, when I say I'm going to leave, it means I'm going to leave five minutes later. Yeah, well, oh yeah. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. Well, it was well, actually later. 10. We were operating on the <laughs> Evan clock and it worked out yeah. perfectly. Yeah. So like we said, on today's Winged Wheel podcast, uh, we have Scott Wheeler uh, to talk draft. He releases, uh, well, you'll, you'll hear my whole spiel once we cut to the interview. Uh, and then when we come back, we're going to do, we're going to continue our own draft profile, obviously very well aided by uh, the professional who preceded us, uh, and then continue our Red Wings player profiles. And there's been a ton in the hockey world, some rollover from last week, uh, playoff content. For the first time, we have an episode between rounds so we can like breathe for a second uh, and then just uh, have some fun with it. So without further ado, everyone, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here today with us is Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. No sweat. Happy to be on. So uh, this is actually great timing. We've had people asking to have you on for some uh, for a while now, but you just released your a monster of an article on the Athletic NHL, which is your uh, top 100 prospect rankings. Yeah, it's uh, a labor of love, if you will. It's my biggest project of every season. So nice to have it finally sort of out there and, and for people to read. And it's cool that I get to do that kind of work in the public sphere because a lot of the scouting that gets done in the hockey world kind of happens behind the, behind a curtain. So it's nice to be able to kind of share it with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, congratulations on being able to sleep for the first time and presumably forever because this is <laughs> seriously a beast of an article. Um, but this has been a, a pretty a pretty big talking point within uh, the well the online sphere of the hockey world. Uh, there are a few picks where I know Brad uh, and I are, are going to uh, pin you down on and, and make, yep. you, make you fight your battles. But uh, just walk us through kind of your methodology and uh, how you – the general consensus of how what this means, whether this is uh, a ranking or what you expect teams to take or a mix of both. It's definitely a ranking. This has absolutely nothing, I mean, at the very least, very, very, very little to do with how I think things are going to play out. It's based entirely off of my viewings and my viewings alone. Uh, I used to work for a series of scouting services, first for McKean's Hockey, doing Eastern Ontario scouting for them, and then in a similar role for Eastern Ontario plus Quebec with with future considerations. And this is nice because uh, I don't have to rely on other people for any of my evaluations. In prior roles, I was basically only evaluating OHL, QMJHL, and OJHL players. There aren't very many strong leagues below the QMJHL out in Eastern Canada, so the OJHL is kind of that third league that I would have to evaluate. And um, this is this is nice because I get to do everything, and certainly that means that I have an increased workload and, and an increased expectation to watch a hell of a lot more players. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, you're looking at only really 100 legitimate players when you're doing the OHL and the QMJHL versus what I'm doing now, which is 300, 400 players. And certainly I can't watch all 400 players who, who have a chance of being ranked on my list. And that's why I build it out as a top 62 for the preliminary and midseason rankings and then expand it to a top 100 only at the end of the year because that's really the only point where I feel confident enough in all of my evaluations to, to properly list 100 players and also 25 honorable mentions plus obviously many of the players who didn't even make the cut um so i watch about 200 250 players multiple viewings on all of them throughout the year it's hundreds if not thousands of hours of work um i'm subscribed to a scouting service now which has some features that allows me to speed up the pace of play and all of those kinds of things which is really nice and it sort of cuts down on my workload because i can watch a game now in an hour instead of three hours um but yeah, it's certainly a labor of love. It's a monster. The the end result is a ten thousand word piece for the top one hundred that I sorry my that my editors have to sort of <laughs> slodge through because I'm sure that's a labor of love for them as much as it is for me. And um, yeah, I, I just love what I do. Try to get to as many games as I can in person, whether that's in the OHL, in the OJHL, QMJHL. I do a lot of travel for for World Juniors and that kind of thing to see some of the major international events and then rely on video for some of the leagues that I can't get to, in particular the, the sort of high school circuit in Minnesota, which I never have a chance to see much. So it, it's it's a lot of work, but the end product seems to be a, a sort of fan favorite of mine and um, it seems to pay off. So I, I love what I do and just going to keep grinding. So we're going to dive into the meat of it here. Uh, Red Wings fans are, uh, by all polls that we've taken, outside of obviously Hughes or, or, or Kako, they, the most coveted pick for Detroit is uh, from a general fan consensus is Bowen Byram. Uh, but mm. right Behind him, if you were to remove Byram from that equation, Alex Turcott seems to lead the pack. And he is your first-ranked player outside of those top two uh, in Hughes and Kako. So could you give us a, uh, a spark notes on what to expect from Alex Turcott, what he brings to the table? Oh, Turcott brings a lot of things to the table. Turcott has always sort of been, been classified as this two-way player. And one of the problems that I think happens when you get, when you get sort of pigeonholed into that kind of a role at such a young age is that there's a perceived bias about two-way players that they aren't also going to have this sort of uh, catastrophic upside that some players that you'd expect to go third or fourth overall might have. And, and Turcotte's really the antithesis to that. He's a kid who I think uh, often doesn't get enough credit for how purely talented he is. Some of his some of his teammates, whether it's a Trevor Zegris or a Cole Caulfield, have been given a ton of credit for their offensive exploits. And I think Turcotte's a more dynamic offensive player than both of those players, while also offering more defensively. Although Zegris is certainly a strong player defensively, he, he tends to take more penalties and that kind of a thing. Um, so Turcotte's a player who I, I just absolutely love. He's on the smaller side for what you would expect out of a player who could be classified as a potential number one center. He's only 5'11", but he's a thick 5'11". He's hard to knock off the puck his low his gravity of or center of gravity is low there's just a lot to like about sort of what he brings he, he's a playmaker as much as he is a scorer he can drive a line he can play off the puck if, if he's playing with a more dynamic player so um he really just is the complete package as a center and obviously he's headed off to college for a season at least one season and, and more likely two or three but I, I think after that he's going to step in and, and really be an impact player at the NHL level so that's in large part why I have him at third overall does his injury history concern you at all 
No, not really. And, and the National Development Program, I'm working on something on Turcotte presently, more of a storytelling side than the evaluation side. And the National Development Program has always been extremely tight-lipped about players and their injuries because they have a policy that unless the player's over 18, which very few of these players obviously are, um, that they don't they don't list their injuries and, and, and sort of specify what they are. So, um, but what I've been told about Turcotte and, and his recovery is that a, he's a hundred percent right now. There is no lingering effects of the first half injury that sidelined him for more than the, more than a third of the season. Um, and you can see that in his game and the way he plays and, and just how dominant he was late in the season. He was battling uh, some combination of either mono or, um, uh, uh what's the word? can't remember the, the the medical term for it but basically he was battling mono late in the season and and that kind of hindered him as well even at the world under 18s which just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago and he still performed extremely well there and, and mono is something that uh, quite frankly a lot of players at that age deal with um so no i'm i the, the short of it is that i'm not concerned about his injury history so sticking with the near the top of your list without giving away exact rankings, because I obviously want people to go out and read this article if they haven't, um, one guy that you had ranked pretty highly was Dylan Cousins. And there's been a lot of fascinating debate going on around him at the moment. What's your take on is he successful because of his skill set or because he's so much physically superior to his peers at this point? <laughs> Well, I, w- I would argue absolutely that it's his skill set. I would argue that a player like Kirby Dak relies a little bit more on his physical tools than a player like Dylan Cousins does. Cousins is good at what he does because he can drive to the net with his puck protection skills and his ability to hang onto the net, onto the puck, and his skating, which is well above average for a player of his size. And I think Dak is a player who relies a little bit more on the cycle and that kind of a thing, and, and really using his strength to overpower players. So I actually think that Cousins can get a lot stronger. I believe he finished the year about 180 pounds. Uh, uh, which for a player who's six foot three isn't isn't exactly huge. Um, so there's there's still room for him to add ten or fifteen pounds without really sacrificing that foot speed that makes him who he is for a player of his size. And um, I think his skill is a testament to how how truly dominant he is. And um, yeah, he could stand to be a little bit better of a puck carrier, but th- that comes with the size. When you're six three, it's hard to handle the puck in tight like a player who's five ten or 5'11", for example. So um, it's certainly something that he'll have to work on. But for a player of his size, he handles the puck extremely well. He can shoot. He can make plays off the rush. He can make plays off the cycle. So there's a lot to like about Cousins in his game. And I think he's going to be a center at the next level rather than a winger, which also bodes well for him. Now, I liked what you wrote about Bowen Byram, which is uh, recognizing that he just seems to be getting better and seems to have turned it on in the latter half of the season. Uh, I myself am always skeptical of late risers in the draft, but I've been proven wrong, and I keep pointing out how I've been proven wrong, because this year, Miro Heiskanen and Kale McCarr absolutely tore it up uh, before they were knocked out of the playoffs. Um, Is Bowen Byram subject to this kind of market inflation of being the best defenseman in the draft, or are we seeing someone who can genuinely be uh, top pairing defenseman at the next level? Well, I think there certainly could potentially be the risk of that. I think he's absolutely in the conversation for third overall, but it might be a little bit of a stretch to take him there and a little bit of a risk to take him there. But uh, because he's a defenseman and because he's that kind of a player, he's certainly going to draw interest. Uh, at that slot, I still think that the Blackhawks are more likely to take a forward like a Cousins or a Turcotte just because they have an Adam Boquist and a Chad Chris and an Ian Mitchell and they have depth on D coming in terms of their prospect pool and could really use the center. So um, at that point, if he goes at four or five, I really 
really don't think you can fault the, either of the teams, whether that's Colorado or L.A., um, for making that pick and, and really taking that leap of faith on him. I truly do believe that he can be a number one defenseman in, in, in the NHL. I think he has certainly the offensive tools. He's got one of the better shots you'll see out of a player of his age at, at that level. Um, his defensive game has, has some warts. I've written about that. I wrote a piece, sort of a video piece that looked at his defensive game as much as his offensive game. And he can lose his man in the defensive zone and he can be a little too static with his movement and all of those things can kind of hinder him defensively. But it's not for lack of skill. So I think a lot of that can be taught, whereas the offensive gifts that he has and his ability to make plays and take over a game um, is just quite frankly unrivaled even by a defenseman like Cam York in this draft. So uh, his play in the second half of this season and any of the playoffs is a large enough sample size now where I think that uh, his sort of status is legitimate and he's a player who who has warranted where he's been ranked, which is tends to be in kind of that three to six or seven range. Now I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure you're going to hate, uh, which is uh, take your best guess. Do you think uh, any combination of Turcotte, uh, and or Byram will be available for Detroit at six, or do you feel that these scouting teams around the league are projected to take those guys kind of where you have them ranked in the top five? Uh, it's tough. I, th- I think there's a chance that Byram slips. I don't think that Turcotte's there. I think if the Blackhawks don't take Turcotte, that the Colorado Avalanche will be extremely interested in him. Uh, I suspect that both of those teams will take a forward, which basically means that it's going to come down to crunch time for whether Byram slips to to the Red Wings because it'll ultimately lay on whether the LA Kings will will take him. And I think the Kings stand a very good chance of taking Byram, but it's certainly not a guarantee. Weird things happen every year at the draft. I'm often surprised by where players go at the draft, particularly in that sort of four, five, six, seven, eight range where there have been some surprises for me over the last few years. Um, so I, I would certainly put decent odds on on the Kings taking Byram if he's there, but yeah, I would not be sh- shocked in the least if he's available at number six. So one of the prevailing, um, I don't know, theories going around uh, Red Wings Twitter is that you're correct that it's more than likely Turcotte and Byram will be off the board then. And the, the leading candidate, if that happens, for uh, who the popular choice is for the Red Wings is Vasily Podkolzin, who you have <laughs> all the way down at, uh, we'll say mid-teens. Now, 17. 17, there you go. So, obviously, his skill set is there. But why do you have him in the mid-teens? What sets him apart from the top 10? Uh, I think there are a couple of things. The, the first thing with, with Vasily is that when you notice him, and this is a bias that I think festers in a lot of evaluators and, and can allow players to creep up the draft even when they probably don't merit it, merit it is that when you notice a player, it's an inherently a good thing. Unless it's a bad turnover or someone is making a huge mistake or their skating is really awful, the times in a game when you notice a player are, are tend to be inherently good moments and, and positive moments and positive plays. So I, I think with Pod Colson, you see a lot of that for a couple of reasons. The first is that he's a, a very physical, in-your-face, up-tempo, uh, attack you off the rush, come at you in waves, kind of take you into the boards kind of player. He's pesky. He's irritating. Opposing players hate him. And when he scores a big goal, you look at him at the end of the game and you say, holy, like that that kid just took over that game. He was at the center of everything that happened. Um, my issue with Pod Colson isn't that he doesn't have the talent to do that because he does. It's that 
he doesn't do it frequently enough, and he, he's very much an instinctual player. And by that, I mean that Pod Colson is a kid who makes plays happen individually and, and can wow you with an individual play every once in a while, but doesn't use his line mates particularly well, isn't an aware player, uh, kind of just puts his head down and tries to make things happen and can turn over the puck a lot as a result. And he's just not a player who I see as a smart enough player to sort of involve those around him and and make the necessary plays and make the simple plays and that isn't to say that I want players to make simple plays because I I absolutely don't I'm I'm an evaluator who values skill above all else but Pod Colson is a unique kid where uh, I just think he can he can get the better of himself at some times and it's extremely hard to teach players in the aftermath how to sort of lift their head and be aware and and make those recognitions because they're so used to just dancing through an entire team and scoring big goals. And um, even in the MHL this season, a league where he should be truly dominant, that just didn't happen for him. So we've, we've all seen the highlight real plays that he scored internationally and, and the role that he's played. And obviously team Russia clearly trusts him, but I just don't see the rest of the tools there and, and the things that he can do at lower levels, I don't think are things that translate at the NHL level. So I'm going to open this up to a little bit of free form for you. So obviously as the season progresses, players improve, decline, things happen. If you had to pick one player in this draft who from where you were at on in September, now you're sitting there thinking I was I was wrong or I was way off about him, whether it's they rose way up your board mm-hmm. or way down your board, who's the name in this draft that jumps out at you? Uh, in terms of a riser, it's certainly Vili Hainola. Uh, I thought at the beginning of the year and still think that they're in the same conversation, but I was considerably higher on two other Finnish defensemen by the name of Miko Kokinen and Anthony Honka, and Hainola had kind of flown under the radar for me. I just didn't give him enough attention. I don't know whether it was the fact that I wasn't, I hadn't viewed him enough times or that I, in those viewings I wasn't keying in on, a, on him as a guy that I needed to be paying attention to. But early in the year, I saw him as kind of a second or third round player. And as the year progressed, he quickly established himself as a guy who I kind of saw in my late teens, early 20s, and and one of the truly sort of better potential sort of two, three defenders in the, in this draft. Um, so Hainol is he's, he's a player who, who really grabbed my attention as the year progressed, and I began to watch him a little bit more. Um, outside of that, in terms of followers, there have been a couple of kids who I was – certainly a little bit too high on at the start of the year and, and have kind of softened on. Um, the big one was probably a kid named Grant Celianoff who uh, tore up the Minnesota high school circuit last year and then came in and had an excellent start to the year in the USHL. And I'd seen him playing a couple of games in the USHL in October before I did my preliminary ranking where uh, I came away really impressed and he kind of saw him as a, as a lock to be a second round pick and, and sort of top sort of 50, maybe top 60 player on on my board and uh by the year's end after starting with him there and starting with him in my top 62 he wasn't even in my top 100 so um he kind of tailed off and plateaued a lot and uh that was just probably a little bit of recency bias at play for me so those are probably the two players that leap out as as risers and fallers for me and and kids that i was uh either didn't give enough attention to or just had misevaluated early in the year so to kind of transition off of specific players now i've always one question I've always wanted to ask you is if you were in a GM chair and obviously we look at the top of the draft and drafting at that point is pretty straightforward. You're just looking for the best player available and stop right there. But if you're drafting in the second, third, fourth round, 
what type of strategy do you take there? Are you looking for just the most skilled player despite all the flaws in molding him? Or are you looking for someone that you can plug in to a certain role on your team? How do you approach that? I'm absolutely if, if I'm in that role, I'm absolutely not looking for those those players that you can plug in and, and insert into a lineup. I, my strongest preference at all times is on skill. Um, that means taking risks. If you're going to be drafting for position or need in the later rounds, you're even less likely to have that player pan out than you are if you're going to be drafting for position or need higher up in the draft, which I think is a mis- as much of a mistake in both spots. Um, so no, my, my, my it, it, that isn't to say that, I mean, you mentioned sort of regardless of flaws going on skilled players and, and I think there's a balancing act there. You, you need to identify those flaws and how truly serious they are. And you need to weigh that risk against the, the upside of their talent. And that's a tough balancing act. But, um, I think ultimately that, that my preference is normally on skill, uh, which tends to mean that my preference is on smaller players. And that isn't because I prefer for smaller players to bigger players. I obviously prefer bigger players when when the talent is there. But the players that tend to slip and, and really provide value late in the draft tend to be those smaller sort of 5'10", 5'11", players, and they don't always pan out. But I think if you swing often enough on those players, when they do pan out, the reward is significantly higher. And at that point, if you're swinging on a bigger player, the bigger players who are talented are already long gone because they're more of a commodity. Um, so in that situation, my, my draft board would probably begin to skew a little bit smaller late in the draft. But um, that isn't to say that you're just swinging on kids who, who have a lot of flaws and, and you're drafting 140, 150-pound players because the odds of those players panning out are, are near zero. But uh, the preference for me is always to sort of reach for the stars and, and look for players who might at the very least project in sort of a top nine top four kind of a role because everybody else is interchangeable transitioning into that or or speaking more to those smaller players obviously the the biggest story uh outside of the top two picks right now is cole caulfield uh in the Mm. historic season he had and obviously speaking of recency bias what he did at the under 18s uh you have cole caulfield ranked pretty um I would say middle of the pack compared to where I've seen him. I've seen him rise as high as top five in other places. Uh, and so you have him ranked uh, 10th. And there's been a lot of uh, comparisons to Caulfield with Debrinkit. There's been a lot of talk of doesn't matter uh, about his other skill sets. You know, goals are the most, uh, are the largest priority skill set in the, in the NHL. So they should be prioritizing this guy. Uh, speak to where you kind of discern Cole Caulfield's ranking from and, and maybe whether it'd be worth picking him in the top five or if, if that would be reaching too much. Well, I certainly think that re, sort of drafting him in the top five would be reaching, but that isn't to say that getting close to there and taking a chance on him is out of the realm of possibility or even a mistake. I, I would argue that my tiers kind of break down as one and then two and then three to five. And then after that, from six to 12. So uh, I have him at 10, but uh, I would listen to an argument that says that Cole Caulfield is the sixth best prospect in this draft. And if he goes anywhere in that sort of six to 11, 12 range, I think that's a fair, a fair sort of spot for him to go. And I wouldn't fault the team for taking that plunge. So he's a kid who you have to be careful with the idea that, or at least I believe you have to, I could be wrong on this, but I, I've always believed, uh, particularly in recent years, years when I made mistakes early on in scouting and in, in overvaluing goals and the value of goals, um, 
because there's a lot more that goes into to being a, a sort of truly transformational player at the NHL level than the ability to finish. And um, I think we've seen a lot of mistakes in recent years. Kiefer Bellows comes to mind as a guy who was uh, a reach for the New York Islanders. Owen Tippett comes to mind as a guy who, despite all of his skills, was a reach for the Florida Panthers. Uh, Jake Vertanen was a guy who scored a lot of goals and looked like a sort of pure goal scorer and, and ultimately hasn't become at least not as talented as his draft slot would have suggested for the Vancouver Canucks. So um, I think in, in junior hockey that line mates and, and the ability of to have people who can give you the puck and the power play that you play on and your shooting percentage and your luck, all of those things influence goal scorers. And uh, I really look for players who can just flat out make plays and drive a line. And oftentimes goal scorers, or at least pure goal scorers in the truest sense, aren't those kinds of players. Uh, Cole Caulfield, I think, is a little bit different just because uh, despite the fact that he played with Jack Hughes, he often was the best player on the ice for the national development program this year. And that says a lot for a kid who's a, his height and B played with players like Trevor Zegris and Cam York and all of the wealth of talent that they had well beyond Jack Hughes. So Caulfield's a player who I think his, his goal totals certainly jump out at you. And then his assist totals might make you question how truly talented he is is and whether he was relying on Jack Hughes. But I think ultimately to, to do what he did was so far beyond the realm of, of what we normally see out of goal scorers that it truly was remarkable. And I think it's it's that kind of true talent as a goal scorer that will translate. So I don't think he's going to have any trouble translating. I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. Uh, I think he's going to tear it up at Wisconsin and then quickly translate to the NHL. Uh, he will certainly need a center that can get him the puck. He, I don't think he's going to be able to do it all on his own at the NHL level but he drives aggressively he finishes off rebounds he finds pockets in the offensive zone and and i don't think his he's he's scared of how tiny he is so uh i'm really looking forward to seeing where he goes and how he progresses because he could surprise a lot of people so we wouldn't be the winged wheel podcast if i didn't ask you about a couple detroit red wings prospects so i mm-hmm. i could ask questions about dozens of them but i'll stick to two so now that we're almost a year removed from the 2018 draft. Um, how has your opinion changed or remained the same on Philip Zadina and Joe Valeno relative to what you ranked them as leading into the draft? Well, I would say that I think I've certainly softened on Zadina. I still think he's going to be an impact player. I still think he's going to be able to play on a number one power play unit. I still think he's going to play in a top six and score 30 goals in the NHL and and be a a really great winger. Um, But that's a little bit lower than where I had him last year, quite honestly. I I kind of bounced between him at number three and him at number four all of last season. Uh, And I think in a redraft, I would probably have him not a lot lower than that, but a little bit lower. And I think at number six, his his sort of slot surprised me. I didn't think he was going to fall to six. And and now it makes a little bit more sense. So um, he didn't have a great year. Part of it was role. Part of it was the adjustment that he needed at the pro level. Um, Part of it is are are some kinks in his games that still need in his game that still need working out. but ultimately, I still I still have a lot of faith in him as a prospect, and, I, and I'm really high on him. And I still think it, it was the right pick for um, for the Red Wings at number six last year. So uh, it, there's a lot to be excited with him. I think if you play him with a player like Dylan Larkin or someone who can make plays, he's going to have, have a lot of success. And uh, Joe Valeno was the other one. Oh, Valeno! I am a Valeno truth 
factor since day one. So I'm, I'm extremely high on Joe Valeno. Um, I had him at, as high as sort of eight, nine, 10 last year, ultimately settled with him on 13. I believe then, and I believe now that he was the biggest steal of the draft. There's absolutely no reason he should have fallen. I think the reason that he fell was because he played on a St. John team that lacked talent and that his numbers were impacted by that. And that scouts, in a lot of places, don't do a, a good enough job of quantifying a player's role within his team and, and how truly different many teams are at, at the QMJHL level, at the OHL level, at all of those junior levels. He, not all teams are created equal if you played him on a, on a better team. And we saw that after the trade. Um, he, he just became a completely di- he didn't become a completely different player, but he looked like one because he was playing with more talent. So he's he's phenomenal. I, I love his game. He's excellent defensively. He was one of the best skaters in the draft. He can absolutely fly. I think he should have been used higher in the lineup for Canada at the World Juniors this year. Um, so yeah, I, I've just got all all good things to say about him. I, if if the center depth weren't the way that it is in, in Detroit, and if they hadn't already slotted some guys into the lineup next year, I would probably argue that he deserves to make the team out of camp. I, I still think that might happen, but it's a significantly tougher road than it probably should be. Um, but I think he, he, what, no matter what happens next season, he's going to be an NHL player, and, and he's going to sort of fit in on a second or third line and, and be a, a real nice piece. And with that, folks, Scott Wheeler just won himself a Winged Wheel podcast shirt and a permanent invite back to the show just to wax poetic about <laughs> Joe Valeno. <laughs> you just won yeah. yourself a lot of Red Wings fans, let me tell you, Scott. <laughs> he's he's outstanding, guys. Uh, he honestly is. I've, I've watched a ton of him. I've spoken to a ton of people about him. I did a big feature on him last year and spoke to his minor hockey coaches growing up and his current coaches and... Everybody has good things to say about Joe Valeno, and it's all deserved. He's he's a great player, a great kid, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what the Red Wings do with him. All right, Scott, so we have uh, some questions from our listeners. First one's from uh, Scott O'Touche. She says, uh, where do you see the drop-off in this year's draft in terms of late first and the second round? Uh, will the Wings be able to get value out of their three seconds, or is it kind of a crapshoot from, say, picks 20 to 75? That's an interesting question. Um I would say that, yes, absolutely, they will be able to get value. My big drop-off in this draft kind of happens after the 25 slot on my ranking. Um, But that isn't to say that that's where the drop-off is going to be because my ranking will not resemble how the draft plays out. And there are at least five or six players in my top 25 who are going to be available in this in both the second and third round. So obviously in my estimation, if, if the Red Wings can pounce on some of those players, like they did with a Valino last year and like they did with a Jonathan Bergren at his slot, um, I, I think they can, they can still find a lot of, a lot of talent and, and legitimate talent with those picks. So uh, for me, that, that looks like a player like Patrick Pistola, who's a kid who's been ranked criminally low all year in my estimation and has, really game-breaking talent um he's a kid who i have ranked in my early 20s but will probably be available in the 30s or 40s uh a couple of other players who jump out anthony honka is one of them a kid a lot like ryan markley last year who has huge question marks about his attitude and his defensive play but has all the talent needed to be a good nhl player so if you can figure that stuff out and, and get in with a coaching staff that can handle him properly and uh, and sort of show him the ropes. I think he can be a, a really great steal in the second or third round. So uh, th- there's there's definitely going to be talent there. Uh, and a question from Rowan says, which of the top 31 ranked prospects on your list was the hardest to get a good read on and subsequently uh, place in the rankings? Oh, there were a couple of them. Um, I, I would probably argue that Pavel Dorofeyev was one of them, a player that I ultimately landed really high on, but it took me a long time to really get there. 
um, just because he's he's kind of a slight kid for his size. He doesn't lack height, but he's a skinny kid and can get caught playing on the perimeter a little bit too much, but just has wowed me with some of my viewings in terms of his skill levels. So I think there is a lot of translatable skill there. Um, Philip Broberg's another kid who, who I've kind of been like Pod Colson significantly lower on, but ultimately settled kind of in the medium range and, and lukewarm takes on him. Um, just because he did really impress me in moments. And then Honka, who I just mentioned off the top is a player who I struggled to rank all year. And I started really high on him, ultimately talked to people and debated having him much lower. There are scouts who have taken him off their board completely and, and will not consider drafting him. Uh, but I still think there's enough talent there that in the late first round or early second round, or even the late second round that he's worth, worth that kind of a chance, particularly for a team like the Red Wings who have so many picks and, and the ability to go out and take the that kind of a risk. So uh, those are probably three players that, that were, were tough to get a real grasp of. All right, Scott. And last big question for you. Uh, I want you to play Hakan Anderson for a second, the Detroit Red Wings European scout. Um, if you could pick one guy, and he might not even be on your top 100, uh, as a project pick, say you were given any team's seventh round pick, and you, could, you said, take this guy, uh, there's uh, zero risk, you're just swinging for the fences. Is there a guy that kind of sticks out in your mind uh, that would be that kind of project Hakan Anderson type pick. Yeah, Levi Altman is is probably that player. He played in Kalpa's system this year in in sort of the junior ranks before eventually moving up to play a brief stint with Kalpa in Liga. He's a kid who's five foot nine and just has skill oozing out of him uh, and doesn't lack confidence. And I think that's a big thing for smaller players. He's number 92 on my board just because he is so tiny and, and players who are that size do rarely translate unless you're an Alex Dabrinkit and it's or Cole Caulfield and it's so clear that you're that talented that you are going to make it. But uh, Altonin's a kid I would still take a risk on. He torched this, this junior the top junior ranks in Finland and then when he went up and played in Liga, he looked like an aggressive, confident playmaker uh, which for a kid who's five foot nine and playing pro hockey for the first time is extremely rare. So Altonin's a kid I would really keep an eye on. I do believe he's going to be available late just because of his size. He's probably going to still be around in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. Uh, and I wouldn't think twice about drafting him there. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Scott Wheeler. I know we preach about this all the time, uh, but Scott's one, uh, Top 100 Prospects article and his subsequent uh, scouting reports for the 10 sleepers in the NHL draft are worth the price of admission for The Athletic alone. Uh, if you haven't read them yet, go read those. Uh, catch Scott on Twitter. You all definitely already do, but in case you don't, at Scott C. Wheeler, follow him there. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Let's do this again. Thanks. Cheers. Anytime. And welcome back to the show. We're all still here. Thank you so much, uh, Scott, for joining us. Like we mentioned before, Scott uh, was a fantastic interview, uh, such a huge wealth of knowledge, and really, really, really cool to see an insight as to um, how scouting looks uh, on the internal side of things. So to have that window of someone who essentially has all the same tools and resources as a scout and have them be able to uh, put that in a public lens uh, is something that we're not really actually used to as hockey fans. So that was really, really interesting. Um, a lot of good stuff within his rankings, and we could have probably done five episodes just talking about that list alone. Um, man, the cat really is out of the bag on Alex Turcotte, though, right? He's going number three. Yeah, I'm like, certain of it. And it's so heartbreaking because as we dig more and more into players like Pod Colson, for example, you know, Scott's not the only one who's low on him, and the more I look into it, the more I'm like, do the Red Wings take him at six? It, I'm kind of, you know, I'm feeling... Like, sketchy about that too but the more i read on turcot the more i'm like man this guy could be a huge steal at six 
we're talking a number three overall talent, and, and here we are. That's where he has him ranked. Yeah, he's not. He's not getting past Chicago. On top of how good Alex Turcott is, he's a centerman, a direct position of need for Chicago. He's committed to Wisconsin, right near Chicago. And guess where he was born, Ryan? That's right. He's an Illinois boy. Wasn't there a picture of Cole Caulfield that was surfacing? That surfaced, and it was he was in a Red Wing or a Chicago shirt. I mean, should stop talking. <laughs> a Chicago jersey when he was like eight. <laughs> I was trying to say it. I was trying to say it, and you were just—I don't know what you were doing, was, like introducing white noise or something. I'm sick. That's just his breathing. That's my breathing, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to help. You were not. You were not helping at all. Part of me wants to be offended, but part of me is very proud of your assertiveness as a podcast host. Yeah, you're welcome. Are you okay? Yeah. Did he take? Did you take methamphetamines, or for the first time, not take methamphetamines before coming here? I have been living in Kitchener maybe long enough to fulfill that. Now. Oh man, I went to a McDonald's in Kitchener today. There was a f- almost a fight between one of the locals and the cashier, who I bargain is also a local. That's what I'm telling you, man. Locals are wild. The residents who reside outside that Tim Hortons. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They broke into my car just for the sake, just to show me they could. They didn't even take anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's fitting. You don't have anything. No, I certainly do not. I had the podcast camera. And <laughs> they don't want what's on there. And here's the point. Remember, guys, I grew up in Kitchener, so that explains a lot. Yeah, it explains everything about <laughs> you. It's why I hate Brad. If you guys are like, man. You, Ryan gets along with uh, with Brad and Evan. Why does he hate them so much? Because they're Kitchener locals. I grew up in Waterloo. Yeah, but you've converted. You betrayed yeah. us. Yeah. I You're know. asking me to betray my deep levels of narcissism and classism. And it I'm hurt, not me, to do it that. hurt me more than you to move to Kitchener, trust me. Oh, I'm going to have to make the same move when I eventually buy. Yeah, yeah, it's because Waterloo is basically a gated community at this point. Yes. Yeah, absolutely it is. What were we talking about? Alex, Alex Turcotte. Alex Turcotte. We, so this is the Winged Wheel podcast in a nutshell. From... Alex Turcott to Evan yelling about something to gated communities. Well, okay, so Evan was talking about uh, Cole Caulfield wearing a Blackhawks jersey. I think jersey. it was him. Well, every every kid in this draft is going to have a Blackhawks jersey. They're all going to be Blackhawks or Penguins fans based on who is dominant as they're growing up, right? Yeah, this like, is true, actually. We're These talking kids about, were born in 2001. We're talking about people who grew up and say, yeah, I grew up watching Sidney Crosby, yeah, which when, is a horrifying thing to think oh about. Oh, my God, this draft, these kids would have been four Mm-hmm. When Crosby was drafted. That's weird. Oh. They grew up. What, they could say their favorite player was Sidney Crosby as far as they can remember, and they won't be lying. Oh, So, yeah, they're all going to be That's Penguins weird. and Blackhawks fans. They're long gone are the days where – well, not long gone, but gone are the days where the prevailing team for any player who wasn't from that team city uh, like was Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings for them. Like, that's not going to be prevalent in these generations so anymore. So no one's saying their favorite player growing up was Stephen Weiss? No. No, funny uh, enough. Weird. Just you, Evan. Just me. Well, not Stephen Weiss, but Steve Ott. Yeah. Yeah, Steve Ott for sure. But that's like that's akin to saying Alex Ovechkin, right? 1A, 1B. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do our own. We're not going to dive into things that obviously Scott very uh, wonderfully laid out for us, but we're going to do our own still uh, review. Turcotte's next on our list. I know we did Byram last. Um, things that I want to highlight that we've talked about before and Scott mentioned. Uh, Alex Turcotte's a two-way player, so you're not drafting a guy whose all of his talents are on one end of the ice. For the Red Wings to draft a guy who could be responsible at both ends and then still his most prominent piece is his production, that is like a Larkin or uh, best-case Valeno on steroids, right? It is legitimately 
removing Byron from the equation the best piece that Detroit could possibly ask for at number six. And even adding Byron into that equation, there's, that's a hell of an argument. A centerman who can play both ways, who is extremely talented in every way, and for a while looked like he might slip because he was injured for a good part of the year. Oh, that 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 was poised to be a steal. He's not there. It's not like he's flawless in his game. Obviously, he's not huge, but I don't think the NHL. I think the NHL is progressing away from needing to be six two or six three, two hundred plus pounds to drive a line. Uh, until six, the playoffs start. Until yeah, until the playoffs start. But even then. I don't know. I, I I have a hard time seeing a downside to this guy. His injuries leave a little bit of concern because you get into the sample size argument. Although, again, I don't think that's a concern. Neither does Scott, apparently. So it's good. I, I really like the point Scott made about, yeah, you can be defensively responsible and not sacrifice any offensive potential, which is what Turcotte is. It's going to hurt seeing him in a Chicago uniform. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt to the soul because I really want him in a red and white jersey just without the black. But that's life. Again, I there's not much I need to add here because I agree with almost everything Scott said, so I feel like I'd just be a broken record at this point. There's, yeah, like, no, he's not the strong scorer in the draft. Like, the strongest pure scorer is probably Cole Caulfield. No, he's not the strongest uh, passer or playmaker. That, that title belongs to either Hughes or Zegris. But his combination of everything is is what does it. Uh, Scott mentions a lot, and this is a term I think is becoming more prevalent, which is good, is someone who can drive a line, someone who drives the play, someone who moves the play along. This guy does that every time he's on the ice. If you're a Bowen Byram or an Alex Turcotte truther, um, now that we've covered both of them, what you basically want to see is any two of Doc, Cousins, Caulfield, or someone else realistically before Detroit, because that means one of Byram or Turcotte slipped. Other than that, yeah, if you ask me to put money on it right now, the Winged Wheel podcast TM gun to your head, I would say both of those guys are going top five. Yeah, I don't. I'd be stunned if they didn't. And? But then again, last year I would have said the same thing about Philip Zadina, and here we are. Yeah, and a lot can change. A lot can change in a month and a half. You know, Zadina, we, it was only start, like around now this time last year where we started to hear the Kotkaniemi rumors, right? So a lot can change. Um, I don't think Chicago is a team that's subject to, to act as much in terms of positional need as uh, Montreal did, but also <laughs> the best player available would still be their position of need. So Best player available to a lot of people. To a lot of people. Spoiler, he's not number three on my list. No, you still he's have. Number, he's number four on my list. <laughs> you still have Bowen Byram. Still, I just put Bowen Byram there. You just put him there? He's been in my rank because I keep a running rating just as I watch more video and things. And yeah, he's been in at three for like, two weeks now gun to your head evan you're, you're walking down down walking through downtown kitchen or someone puts a gun in your head and they say you have a choice between byram or turcotte that's so vivid yeah impossible yeah. <laughs> uh for me it's byram okay yeah i want you to know if you die that way i'll be so mad at you because then i'll have to eat that because this is going on the internet yeah you you'll have police at your door oh, i'll be a suspect for sure it's okay if i die i've written in uh dead man's what do you call those dead man's switch uh stuff will happen to incriminate both of you in my death. Provided that you don't actually do it yourselves. <laughs> Fair enough. So you go Byram. Yeah, I'm still sold on getting a defenseman. Mm, uh, Especially the top-ranked one. I'm trying to not look at this as positional needs anymore, but I just I the more I watch Bowen Byram, I'm I'm certain he is 
the top pairing guy. The outside of Kako and he's the best player in this draft. He's leading the WHL playoffs in scoring. Oh yeah. I don't mean as a defenseman. The whole He's leading the playoffs in scoring. End of statement. Yeah. What as we- a underage 17-year-old defenseman. What Scott said was right. Like this guy is getting better. And he's his team's in the final. It's not like you know, they're in the second round and his team just got hot for a couple of games. No, they went all the way to the finals. You know, if both are sitting there at six for some unknown reason, some ungodly reason, I wouldn't be upset with either of them being picked. No, no neither would I. If they're both sitting there at six, I'm doing everything in my power uh, to get on the phone <laughs> with Buffalo to also get seven. Yeah. <laughs> Trade Athens to you in two seconds for number seven. I would. Yes. They would, no one would take that, but yeah. <laughs> well, stranger things have happened in That's the NHL. True. This uh, is true. Let's not forget Luke Shen was a fifth overall pick. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, okay, so before we get into the Red Wings player profile, Max actually put out an article about trading back, uh, and it basically demonstrated, A, it almost never happens. In the top 15. In the top 15. B, it almost never happens where Detroit is. And C, there isn't a clear-cut trend for it being valuable for one side of the trade or yeah, the other. because the Islanders traded down in the top 10 twice – uh, with the Leafs and then with the Predators. And they ended up with Josh Bailey. And they ended up with the best of the three players. But then one of the other trade downs was, I forget what team, someone trade, uh, Nashville traded out of pick 15 uh-huh. and, and one draft. And Ottawa came up and selected Eric Carlson. Yeah. So, whoops. <laughs> and who's laughing now? Yes. San Jose. <laughs> yeah. And maybe Detroit. And maybe Detroit. And possibly 29 other teams not named Ottawa. Yes. Seattle's name is confirmed to not be Ottawa, so they are included in the Ottawa Senators. The Senators. Oh, that is a great diss. I have a friend who will hate that. Thank you. <laughs> I love low grade kindergarten disses, and that is a good one. Um, yeah, I so, take offense to that. Thank you. I appreciate that you take offense to that. That means I've accomplished what I set out to do every day when I meet with you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and then a key part of that was the inherent value of the team uh, trading up in which was essentially no team is going to trade what will Detroit, what Detroit will want to trade back. No team is going to give up that extra first round pick and Detroit already has three second round picks. So at this point, would it really be worth it for anything less than the first? The answer is no, absolutely not. Detroit, as we've been preaching for three years now, they're not lacking depth in the organizational prospect pool. They're lacking elite talent. Do not go backwards. If Byram or Turcotte or Zegris or Cousins or whoever you deem to be an elite level potential, you sit at six and you pick him. Now we're going to talk about the next uh, centerman on our Red Wings uh, profile, the Red Wings player profile. And this one is a doozy. Just kidding. It is Luke Lindenning. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not a knock at Luke. It's just we're going position by position. We started with Larkin and then center depth for the Red Wings. Yeah, we went from Dylan Larkin to Franz Nielsen to Luke Lendenning. To Luke the Lendenning. first, second, and third line centers on this team for a majority of the season because Andreas Athanasiu is a winger. Fight me if you disagree. That is for a future episode. Luke Lendenning is, to me, the kind of guy who uh, has been put in a situation where he receives undue hate, especially from me. Um, <laughs> he's making $1.8 million. And he was he was cap secured. I can't remember how long his deal was originally for. Five years, four years. I don't know what it what it was. But it was four years. Four years. So he has two years remaining on that deal at one point eight million dollars. Is one point eight million a ton on the cap? No. 
Um, do I think it was too much for for him? <sighs> Here's the thing. Contextually, with what Detroit needed, I don't think he offered the kind of value to that Detroit for Detroit to be paying him what they were and keeping that roster spot and and offering him that kind of cap control over that many years. Um, he's not. A Wait, we're still talking about Glenn Denning, right? Yeah, you could apply that statement to a lot of. Players. Yeah, you could apply it to a lot of guys. Uh, Luke Lundetting was a guy that became even more frustrating because he's talented at what he does. In terms of a third or uh, like low third or fourth line guy, I think he's incredibly effective. Good penalty killer, good you know energy guy, does kind of what you want him to do, does the dirty work. A Mike Babcock, a Jeff Blashill coaches kind of guy. Um, Luke Lundetting averaged, what, over 17 minutes a game last year? I think it was. It was almost 17. And so he, fun stat, he led the entire NHL in ice time per game while not playing any time on the power play. He was number one. Everything I hate about Luke Glendening has nothing to do with Luke Glendening. It's not his fault. It's his, it's his utilization. It's his deployment. It's Luke, Jeff Blashill. Luke Glendening should never play 16 minutes in a game unless your team takes nine penalties. Uh, that's and that's and or your team scores nine goals and you're parking the bus. You score nine goals in the first two periods. Yeah, and you're just like Luke. we park the bus when we're down. Yes, and you need goals in the third. Luke Glendening is going out there. Now here's here's the positive because we dump on Luke Glendening for being an extremely one dimensional player. He outproduced Darren Helm and Justin Navdelkader offensively this year and that's why i like him i think if you said to me hey in a future iteration of the red wings uh we're gonna need a guy on the fourth line either on the wing or a center um we're gonna bring luke Lindenning back on a cheap deal i'm happy with that i'm actually genuinely happy with yeah, that because luke Lindenning did not spend any time on the top line with dylan larkin this year whereas helm and Ablocator spent significant time there and he still outproduced both of them luke Glendening. At even at one point eight million dollars, I will take as as my fourth line center, any day, any team, any position in the standings. I would never in a million years play him anywhere but the fourth line. You don't have that luxury. Yeah, we don't have that luxury. That hence why he's the third center we're talking about. But he is what he is. He's not good offensively, but he's not incompetent offensively. No, he's good enough shot, good enough nose around the net to whack in some rebounds. Absolutely no playmaking ability, but that's fine for a fourth line player. Hottest backhand the hot, I feel like ever every seen. season there's one goal that he scores where we're like, holy shit, he at one point in his life he could have been like an absolute goal scorer. Yeah. He just like will just snap one from the tops of the circle. Kind of a Riley Shane shot. Like, yeah, and it's just bar down you're like <laughs> oh my god, who was that? So he did. He scored that like I think glove hand and then short short side on the like in consecutive games and then he had Mrazic was one of them. Yeah. He, it's like wh- who is this guy? He all of a sudden is an elite sniper for just a brief second and then he goes back to being his normal self. He had a stroke and for a moment thought he was Anthony Mantha. If yeah. you guys if you guys want a window into my offensive capabilities as a defenseman when I played that was pretty much it. <laughs> Once every 12 games I would take a shot that would either go bar down or it'd be like an incredible opportunity. Everyone would be like, oh my God, Ryan's found his offensive game. And then I wouldn't score again. <laughs> so <laughs> there's still it. hope for you. There still is hope. We actually, we, we forgot to ask Scott about where he ranked me for 2020 as a 26 year old in that draft. So. I think you just show up for like the PTO and they're like, who are you? Yeah. They're like, sorry, buddy. Stephen Weiss has got this locked up for yeah. the next five years. Back to Luke Lundetting. Again, fan favorite. 
if you remove all context of the team, I love the guy. I love seeing him as as a third or fourth line guy, preferably fourth. I think he brings great en- energy. You know, his cap hit is $1.8 million. That's like under 2.5% of the cap in terms of cap hit, which I think is a metric we should be talking about more, actually. Uh, that's nothing. That's fine. Um, he is with, what he is, and he doesn't cost as much. I think the team should have traded him to a contender that was willing to pay a premium for him. I think anything offered at a fifth or better should have been an instant deal for Detroit because I think he has way more value to them than he does to the Red Wings. He's 30 years old. His play is going to start declining eventually. I don't see him as a valuable piece for the Red Wings to be hanging on to as they did through two trade deadlines now where he was coveted. That, that's kind of my take on it. For, hey, his trade value goes up now as the term on his contract goes down. Well, teams wouldn't... Yeah, I suppose. Contending teams will be closer to the cap and so we'll have more flexibility towards the end. And I'm not saying like... I'm not at, I was never heartbroken or screaming from rooftops about not trading Luke Lindenning because it was the same thing when they didn't deal Cronwell. It's like, what's an extra sixth or seventh going to do, right? Like, it's nothing to, to yeah, cry over. A third round pick is like a 12% odd of hitting a valuable NHL player. Whatever. If you have a Luke Lindenning jersey, good for you. Honestly, like, I genuinely do like the guy. I like his game. I, I appreciate where he can fit on a roster when used properly. But the simple fact of the matter is he has not been used properly. No. He's. I'm hoping to see that deployment go down. I don't want to see him averaging more than 12 to 13 minutes a night. If that, that should go down as the team becomes more talented. Um but he's far from the biggest of the Red Wings' problems in terms of uh, bottom six guys playing upwards, like you mentioned. Yeah, you don't hear anybody calling around for the other people who have long-term you know what? contracts da- who don't produce. Darren Helms received some whispers. In- other than yeah, those are the only two. He's going to Edmonton. He's going to Edmonton, man. Oh, yeah. it's going to happen. I want to say I'm not sure if I accidentally said it or if I just implied it, but Darren Helms from Manitoba, not from Alberta. I think I said he was from out west Manitoba, I guess technically, but it's not as far out west as maybe I was implying. Uh, Depends who you ask. St. Andrews, Manitoba, but farther west than than Ontario or Michigan. So, um, yeah, Edmonton would be closer to home for him. Same climate. Cold. Barren wasteland. Yeah. Free healthcare, though. Well, angrier hockey fans, so. More polar bears, definitely more. No, polar Manitoba bears. definitely. Manitoba has all the polar. Bears. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah Manitoba. Yeah. Um, yep. Okay, we have uh, before we get to playoffs. There's a hold there's... on before we move on. We have to give a round of congratulations to ourselves. We made it through an entire segment on Luke Lendening without a Michigan per sixty joke. Oh, we're growing. <laughs> we're maturing as people. We are maturing as people. <laughs> all you listeners. We won't forget you when we make it big. <laughs> yeah, we're social media influencers now. We have ascended to the oh, ethereal do gotta, plane. Do I got to start taking pictures on a beach now? You got to go to Coachella, buddy. I don't guys, even know how to use Photoshop. If you guys ever want to know, Brad, despite being young, takes pictures and posts online like he is a father more than anyone else that Dude, I know. I pose like twice a year. Like. He, posts, he posts pictures from like, you know, those guys, like those old dudes who just go on Facebook and like just they click take a photo right now. They just knock oh, it off man. right then and there. We have uh, like a knockoff. It's developed by Facebook, but it's for like workplaces. It's- oh, I have that. It's called Workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of photos like that. Yeah. People just use their webcam on their laptops. <laughs> it's brutal. And there is none there on here. There are some bad ones. None. 240p. Zero, Ryan. I don't know what you're talking about. 
There's more pictures of Evan on my Instagram than me. And then sometimes we get people in our mentions where they just like, generally the older generation likes to type. And it's not, this isn't a knock on them. It's just a different way of communicating. There's no breaks. They use ellipses to separate thoughts, but it's just like this unfettered stream of consciousness. That's why I have a podcast, Ryan. A lot of them. <laughs> but what, the way you write is like a uh, somewhere between us and them, like Evan and I and them. And then there's you in the middle. For me, it's like uh, the the more boomer-aged people on our workplace chat, they'll just say, hi. And they'll just keep it at that If you unless you reply back. And then they'll say what they need to say. Whereas like the millennials are like, hey, and they say what they're going to say. And you can read it. But yeah, today there was one and I didn't answer it for like six hours. And it was just hi all day. I love that. I love hi dot dot or like hi Ryan dot dot dot. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, are you about to tell me some bad news? Yeah, I hate <laughs> when they do dot, dot, dot. They it's love ellipses. They love ellipses. Someone got I don't mad. do that. No, you don't. That's why I said you're somewhere between somewhere between us and them. Yeah, because I understand what not to do, but I also don't try to be like the younger generation because I just sound like a parody of myself at that point. You do, yes. <laughs> I, under, I always appreciate that you embrace who you are and just trust that if there's anything to correct, I'll just come in and correct it later. Yeah, that's why I just respond to everything with pictures now. Everybody, every, <laughs> it's universally yep. accepted. Yep. Our, our group chat reached like a peak of efficiency for like three days and then these two dipshits just started responding to everything in GIFs. <laughs> We're contributing to the meme economy. Uh, that little screenshot you posted of when you asked for our biopics is still my favorite <laughs> screenshot of all time. I typed in that tweet what I was said out loud to Mel at the time. I was like, can someone please? <laughs> if you guys and, don't know. I, and if nobody's seen that, scroll through Ryan's timeline to find that. I it's It was just, I needed them to give me the pictures that they wanted to put on the web, our official website that people are going to go to to see who, what they look like. And we, I was leaving it up to them, and Brad. Uh, I'm not even. I'll let you guys look online. I'll retweet my my tweet from the past so you can see it again. Uh, I want to move on to to a genuinely serious topic. Um, uh, the and this is a little bit late, but the news is obviously still ongoing. Um, we've talked about in the past uh, women's hockey and and um, what the issues stand in front of professional women's hockey in North America. Uh, so the CWHL. Uh, folded and the kind of dilemma was will the NWHL take over or are the players going to um, see too much conflict or potential to fail in the NWHL boycott get them to fold and then at that point all of the NHL's preset parameters which are no pre-existing league can be running uh, will be met and they'll start their own NHL backed WNHL. Obviously, 200-plus players, for anyone who's been living under a rock, 200-plus uh, professional women's players, including the top players in the women's game, uh, banded together with the hashtag for the game uh, movement. And um, they never called it a boycott or a protest, but that's essentially what it is. They're withholding uh, from playing in any professional league in North America. Um, they never explicitly state this, but this is a move to get the NWHL to fold to let the NHL come in. Um I'm not going to give attention to the people who are just here to to denigrate the the name of women's hockey. Brad's going to jump in. I'm going to because these people are arguing against themselves and it's stupid. The whole purpose behind this movement is because these players are aware under the current league with the current format, the current broadcasting rights, 
There is no money there. This is why they're doing it. So all these dummies who are saying, yeah, well, why would the NHL invest in this? Because there's no money there. Guys, nobody is unaware of that fact at the moment. From a business standpoint, there's no... If there was money there, they wouldn't be doing this boycott. It's as simple as that. What the women are trying to do is to get an infinitely wealthy organization like the NHL to invest in a league where they will support. So now all of a sudden the advertising budget comes up where they can contribute, put money towards teams, create team partnerships for every team in the league. So again, more eyes are being brought to attention, taking little girls and grown women's eyes and directing it towards women's hockey being like, Hey, you can play this too. And then growing a grassroots movement that is going to create not just WNHL fans, NHL fans. <laughs> yeah. Because if you start watching one, you're going to watch the other. That's kind of how it works. Nobody listening to this, po- I would bet 98% of the people listening to this podcast don't just watch the NHL. I do. Well, I watch the OHL. But yeah, you watch I know you go to Storm game and Ranger games. Night. You go to yeah. Rangers games. I was at the game last night. Yeah, yeah, I know you watch other hockey. So the whole reason they want this is they understand that if the NHL jumps in, they're going to be operating this league at a loss for a number of years. But the hope is that with all the advertising and attention the NHL can bring to the women's game, it won't be operating at a loss for long. And then the women can get a living wage playing a professional sport at a high level. And over time, the NHL gasps can maybe turn a profit off of this. Here's the thing. Actually, there, here's a lot of things. One, even if the league doesn't operate at a profit, Roughly 50% of the world, just a touch more actually, are is female. You're appealing to half of the planet here. That is just, there is a level of uh, relatability that isn't there in the game right now. To expose this sport to people who might not be, uh, you know, so inclined to watch it, it's, it's an unfilled niche. It's a free market experiment. Secondly... Women's no one is coming in here, and for those of you who are going to use the straw man argument, please stop. And that's, oh, you want women to be paid like NHL players? Where are you going to find nine to ten million dollars for them? No, no one is saying that. They want a living wage. They're being paid two thousand dollars in some cases at best, right? Like that's not. And people are saying, well, a lot of people have to uh, have to do two jobs to do what they love. What, what is with this? I, I don't understand the fight against more hockey. It's not hurting anyone. They want a living wage because they're the best in the world at what they do, which is playing women's professional hockey. No one is saying these women are going to come in and compete against NHL players for the Stanley. That's not what this is about to make this a a proxy war for sexism is just not the way to go. It's get off that right now. If you want to have an honest conversation, we're always willing to have an open and honest conversation about that. But everything that Brad just said is the only argument that should hold true. This is a good investment for the league for business reasons. And it's a good investment for ethical reasons because women's hockey has not been given the support it needs. Right now with what we see in women's hockey, for those of you who have watched the World Championships or the Olympics, that is thrilling hockey to watch. Admittedly, and I'm going to be honest here, I used to in the past say, I don't like watching women's hockey. It's not great hockey. I just can't, like I don't appreciate how slow the, the pace of the play was. I was immature and naive and you know childish in saying that i watched the ohl 
like Evan does. Uh, I like watch when I was a kid, I liked watching other like, you know, double A AA and triple A games. I'll watch hockey wherever I can. I watched it was the Finnish. What's the the under the Finnish Liga, like the Finnish second league. I was watching those games. I was watching the SHL. This is not about how good the game is. It's about supporting hockey. If you don't like women's hockey, and you don't want to watch it. Here's the thing. No one's going to force you to watch it. But to come out and fight against it, to me, is just a level of ridiculous that I almost don't even want to entertain anymore in words. Now, off to positivity. It looks like things are going well. Uh, the Pigulas, the Pigula family officially turned over the uh, control of the Buffalo Buttes uh, NWHL team back to the league. They were the only independently controlled team. Uh, the entire 30-player roster was part of this uh, protest, and so they're like, yeah, this isn't going to work for us anymore. Really, no one can predict what the NWHL is going to do, but um, at this point, with any hope, in my very biased opinion, uh, they'll fold sooner rather than later, and then the NHL might be able to construct something for late next year, or at least the season thereafter. Yeah, it's probably too late to do anything this season. There'll probably be enough players um, kicking around not as part of the boycott to maybe get the NWHL this season in. But if they it's play, not looking like it, though. But if the NWHL runs, the NHL's not stepping in. That's there. That's Gary Bettman saying he's like, no, as I know. long as they're existing, yeah. I'm not going to. And I don't know Danny Ryland that well. I don't know a ton about her, but from all indications, she seems like a pretty stubborn person. So this could draw out longer than the players are hoping. I don't know because the whole purpose of this is the women are, are, are I'm not going to say putting pressure, but well, no, they exactly are putting pressure. They're putting pressure on Danny Ryland to fold because we need you out of the way for this to work. But they're also putting pressure on Gary Batman and go, okay, if this, if she folds spotlights on buddy, you're either going to be a hero or a villain here. What are you going to do now? Don't get me wrong. I went to my whole spiel about the business viability, about why I think it's a good idea to invest in women's hockey. There's no guarantees there. This could turn into a black hole for money. Nobody watches and it's a complete, complete failure. It could happen. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't bet on that. But the NHL certainly has to weigh those odds. The NHL is full of successful businessmen. If they think that this is an, a potentially successful venture, they will put their money into it. Yeah, yeah. And again, and if they don't, there's they didn't just do it because they're asshole. They didn't put money in because they're assholes. They will do analysis. They will see, make sure that this is worth their money, and it's the right thing to do for them. Yeah. They they will do their due diligence and people may like the outcome, people may not like the outcome. Yeah. And, I don't I don't know where it goes, really. And almost everybody listening is gonna remember the twenty eighteen gold medal game between Canada and the US and the twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. The two overtimes and the shootout in twenty eighteen. People will watch when it's top hockey. And again, we're only talking about Canada and the US, who are obviously the superpowers in women's hockey, but as we just saw, Finland's catching up in the world championships. Some of the best players in the world, in the game of hockey, don't play for Canada and the U.S. I don't know how many people listening know the name Jenny Hirokoski, but she might be the best defenseman on the planet, and she's Finnish. I don't know that name. Yeah. So it's just the we get a proper league. doesn't have to start with 10 teams. It can start with six. Oh, I think it'll start four to six. Yeah, and that's fine because then the talent will be very tight, compact. All Only the best players will be there, and it should get interest. One of the easiest ways to save some quick money and getting a league up and running would be to play, let's say there's 10 teams out of one arena. Save on the travel. Everybody's in the same area. 
That is a cost-efficient way of starting a league up. Hard to build fan bases that way, though. Yeah. Well, you need to get it off the ground before we can start building fan bases. There will be fans from the NWHL, the other league. Well, you start tie, with if you tie it to original six teams, which is a lot of what what the the writers for this are, are saying, like um, Strang and, and some other ones did a um, Q and A today. If you tie it to original six teams, like I'm. I'm watching hockey. I've gotten Mel into hockey quite a bit over the past year, um, and she's like super into it. Uh, I was actually was so proud. She we were on the phone, and uh, one of her relatives, who's a Boston fan, I believe, uh, asked her about Steve Eiserman and if the Red Wings are going to make the playoffs next year. And she's like, "No, actually, Eiserman. The great news about Eiserman is that he's not trying to make the playoffs next year. He's coming in, and he wants to do this re." And she just like laid it all out, and I was crying on the phone. I was and so happy. Far too much logic for most Boston fans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and she's like getting into the game. Not only do I want a Detroit Professional Women's Hockey League team to cheer for, I just want as many Detroit professional sports teams to cheer for. I would love for her to have an, another opportunity to relate to the game even more than she already is. So I've got a really cool story that um, came from one of the playoff games last week I was watching. And th- this is just me being overly sentimental, but if anybody doesn't believe that this would have an impact on young kids. Everybody knows the podcast mascot, my daughter Mika. Yes. Who's going to be three in a couple weeks. So she's still only two years old. We were watching, I want to say it was Columbus, Boston, whatever series um, Pierre Maguire and Kendall Coyne were doing the commentary for. Mm -hmm. My daughter was kind of watching the game, kind of running around and playing, not really paying attention, as kids do, because they have the attention span of a goldfish. Mm -hmm. But... Every time Kendall Coyne started talking, Mika stopped dead, looked up at the TV and goes, where is she? Maybe that's because she doesn't listen to you and she respects the female voice more. Because it sounds like it's like a motherly voice. Have you seen that kid? She loves Brad. I don't understand it. But yeah, so that I doesn't mean, mean she listens to him. But if it can get, if just having a woman's voice over top of a hockey game is enough to get a two-year-old to stop in her tracks, mind you, a two-year-old who likes That's hockey. That's desperate but, here. He'll take anything. <laughs> but I mean, it—it's not nothing. No, you're like you're totally right. Now, there. mind you, Mika lives in a household completely obsessed with hockey, so it's like not the best example in the world. But it, yeah. the point still stands. The message here is: if you like, if you hate it, that's fine. No one's forcing you to love it. But there's a lot to love here, and because with the what the WNHL needs is exposure more than anything yeah. else. I would have watched the shit out of CWHL or NWHL games. Guess what? They were never broadcast on TV. I'd have bought tickets to tons of games if there was a team anywhere near me. And I know Toronto's not that far, but we all know what Toronto traffic is like. You, If you have an outdoor game, like when Detroit and Toronto played the Centennial Classic, if each of those teams had a women's affiliate... <gasps> You can have two outdoor games. Combine them. Make a weekend of it. Put them both one in the morning, one in the evening. That's exposure. Because if you're already going for a game, odds are you'll go for both. Put these. The NHL has the opportunity to put these games on TV. So now your average Joe can actually watch these games. I would much rather watch a women's hockey game than Young Sheldon at 8 p.m. on a Tuesday. Oh God! I know you're not coming after Young Sheldon like that. Please come after Young Sheldon like that. Although Young Sheldon, I'll probably watch that over the rest of the season of Game of Thrones at this point. Don't. <laughs> don't. Oh, the pendulum. Yeah. Don't. Anyways, don't be that guy. 
It's awful, man. It's They've butchered fine. it. It's not fine. It's They've not as good as the rest of the series, but it's fine. If someone could, if, if someone could play fine. the voice clips of you before maybe even the second last episode, before the Battle of Winterfell, it would be hilarious to hear compared to what you just said. Yeah, it would be. They've ruined it. They've ruined my... They've killed my boy. The, I keep hearing people saying that it's lining up like Breaking Bad was. Or um, Dexter. Yeah, it is. seems a lot like Dexter, honestly. I only have one massive bone to pick with what they've done this season. A lot of things I don't think are great, but they're they're good enough. Because we're holding Game of Thrones up to Game of Thrones standards, which is what you should do. But at the same time, relatively speaking to other shows, this season's still better than most shows. It's HBO. I expect the top level. And then when it's the best grossing show they have, I expect every episode, especially after a year off. Or was it two years off? Just two a year? years. Two? two years. I expect a lot. They yeah, a- I, I would. I would ideally not have Starbucks cups in the shot. I actually like the Battle of Winterfell episode for reasons that I'm not going to explain in theory. But yeah, last episode irritated me on a few points. I, my buddy, he, he saw that post online. He's like, "This is fake." Like Starbucks post that pushed this out and like is spamming everything. Sure enough, it was in there. He went back and checked. <laughs> I didn't have so much of a problem with the Starbucks cup as I did with the cartoon clown with a real gun. But that's just me. What? <laughs> yeah. Or a cartoon Wait, clown pirate. Spoilers? Spoilers? Are we spoiling? Kinda. We spoiling? Kinda. But at that point, it, when it comes to fruition in the show, you're better off having your expectations. Listen, if you're already at like halfway through the entire show, just probably stop. No, no. Where 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 this season jumped the shark was that scene with Jamie. I'm not gonna say what scene or how, but that scene with Jamie. I I would contend that it jumped it several times way before, but that was definitely one of the biggest ones. Uh, back to women's hockey. There's going to be more to come with this. There's going to be continuing storyline. On to the NHL playoffs. Who is the Khaleesi of the WN? Anyways, <laughs> the NHL playoffs continue to be insane. Uh, as we speak, Boston and Carolina are currently in game one. We're through two periods there with Carolina up two to one. Bunch of jerks. Bunch of jerks. So the, the conference finals, Carolina and Boston in the east, St. Louis and San Jose in the west. The, of course. The playoffs continue to be the wild, wild west or the wild, wild east. Um, Abs fans today, not happy. No. Nobody was not an impressed fan this morning. So let's talk about that. Because yeah, we weren't getting away, getting away without a Brad rant on this one. No, no, no I'm not going to rant because I think almost everybody's going to be in agreement with me here. We just needed a Game 7 of a playoff series to be influenced by someone's skate being an inch offside to unite the world against it's these stupid the reviews. It's not the NHL without it. I don't even think it was an inch. <laughs> I think it was a mere half centimeter. Yep. Um, it was hardly conclusive. Here's the thing, Brad, I agree with you that there's an argument to be, be had here. And I agree with you that if we have this argument under the right conditions in good faith, you'll probably end up being right mostly. But here's the thing. I'm not willing to have this argument until the NHL puts 1080p or above cameras on either side of the boards on the damn blue line with sensors in the ice. It is insane that we have a like 720 megapixel camcorder held by a kid holding a chocolate ice cream in the other hand and accidentally smearing the lens, zooming in with digital zoom and not even optical zoom on that skate. This is one of the most profitable sports leagues in the world, and we got maybe six pixels to decide whether a skate was on the blue line or not. Is that insane? Is that nuts? And for any of you nerds who tell me about how hard it is to push forward, 4K wirelessly. I'm very well aware 1080p is more than viable wirelessly without loss, 
very consistently and with with no uh, back end time. It's it's nuts. The arena owners are cheap. The NHL is cheap. This is all cheap. We're not even giving this argument or these rules a fair Rise chance bird. because cheap, we can't. Cheap. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm crazy. I'm, I'm losing my mind here. Put some damn sensors in the ice and put cameras in the boards. It's so simple. How easy would that have been to say? Oh, camera, look down. Yeah, like, he was NASA, here, here's like here's like a hundred million bucks. What's Elon Musk doing? Uh, oh. Someone tweet at him. Someone make this into a really dank meme and tweet at him. That's how you guys intend. You guys ever watched the podcast he was on where he smoked marijuana with Joe Rogan? Joe Rogan? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he said other people's podcasts. Uh, Listen, man, everybody knows the cherry. <laughs> really good episode, and I think he would probably have some good solutions on this. I think he would, too, because apparently we need one of the craziest entrepreneurs in the world to decide cameras in the board. Look, I did it for you for free, NHL. You don't even have to pay us. Or, or we just adopt a rule where if the naked eye can't detect it, it means it probably really didn't impact the play. I, <laughs> I am a staunch purist who does not agree with the spirit of the play argument. But I understand what you're saying. So let's adopt the soccer rule then. You can be offside as long as you don't impact the play in any way. No, I, I think that's a, even grosser than what you just suggested. No, before. that's I don't like that solution, but it's a uh, better solution than this one. It's okay. That would make it impossible for the refs to oh, or the I, linesmen. But if impossible. We're, if we're going to review anyway, at least let the goal stand this way. If if we had the current, Gabriel Landis guy was going for a fucking line. He was literally, he was literally leaving the ice, and the goal got waved off <laughs> yeah. because of it. I think I think they enforce the rules incorrectly. I think they actually like there were so many different rules. There's like five different conditions to consider here, and they incorrectly interpreted like three of them. The game we're trying to make the game safer, yet Gabriel Landeskog at that point would have been better off just supermanning over the boards into his teammates. I've done that before. It hurt. I, oh, I've done it to save a too many men call. Yeah, but. same. Yeah, yeah, I did that. I don't, and it was in Niagara, and for some reason the the benches were like a half foot higher, and that was a big leap. And I am not a vertical. Oh, athlete, I was just I was just you. hoping you'd say yeah. I thought I was going to clear it, and then just went wildly coyote into the board. I got one leg over, and my groin took the rest of it, oh. and that was one of the only shifts that I missed in that series. Anyhow, um, okay, here. Let's say this iteration of the rule, splitting hairs with offsides, like the way I like it. You know, if you're offside by a millimeter, you're offside by a mile. But we can say with the installed technology that says with 100% certainty every time, whether it was offside or not, would you go with that? Like I'm saying like the re- if, if it's challenged and the referees missed it and they check upstairs and you have an answer in 15 seconds, do you go with it or not? Okay. I'm going to state this very clearly. I'll punch you in the neck. Ban offside reviews all together. We had Matt Duchesne go three feet offside for one goal six years ago, and there's been nothing egregious since. But yet we have to deal with this garbage, not only through multiple game seven of the second round of the playoffs. San Jose should have been knocked out twice now. Now, don't not that. Colorado only wow, tied Brad the game there. Brad, uh, uh, Joe Pavelski. Oh, I might, I might actually be pulling for San Jose more than any other team left at this point. Honestly, extra second round pick. Yeah, extra second round pick. Eric Carlson, Gus Nyquist. I'm all in, but it's it's absurd. The NHL is botching this. So if San Jose wins the cup right now. Twitter is going to melt down. If you down. thought the lottery was rigged, holy oh, shit, if San Jose wins, it is 100% rigged. Jumbo Joe gave uh, Gary Bettman unlimited access to his petting farm, or his petting zoo. Or is it Burnsy's? Yeah. Burns has it, yeah. To Burnsy's petting zoo if he, if he buys him a cup. Oh. You're, but you know what? I, I think the same argument would hold 
if you said they're like ban offside reviews, all it takes is one Matt Duchesne three feet offside in a game seven of a cup final. And they're, we're going to be clamoring for it back. Well, I then think the refs uh, yep, should be yep. better at their job. Absolutely possible. Here we are, right? Man, <laughs> you think the NHL refs are bad? Go to one OHL game. They are horrible. It's like they walked outside and they looked at the only guy who wasn't smoking meth and they're like, <laughs> you could be a ref tonight. And they give this guy a pair of skates. Okay, but here's the thing. I'm Even with this postseason where I think the refs have been uncharacteristically bad, I'm all for giving them the tools they need. Brad, you and I could have an amazing argument here. Evan can chime in with excellent points here, but it's all moot point until the technology is installed to make this argument even viable. Or the technology is just uninstalled. Right now, we loan out our podcast camera to the NHL, and it's used around like 16 of the 30 ranks, or the 31 ranks. That's how bad their cameras are. So my question is, they know they zoom in to look at these offsides, and they can't tell... Why was it never brought up where saying, oh, we need to have this amount of clarity to make to make use of this technology and determining a rule? Because the rules were made in a reactionary manner, like Brad said, with the whole Duchesne thing. I think they were right to to kind of move in this direction, but they moved quicker than the technology allowed them to. They thought they can go there and install a camera right now. They could. They could. It's I'm like it's like I'm taking crazy pills. They could do it right now. A thousand bucks. There you go. You they've been talking about it cameras. from the moment the rule was installed. They've been talking about it, and they said, "Oh, the NHL is looking at it," but they decided against it. The GM meetings. They're Peter looking. Shirelli at- was a GM. You gave him an opinion on this. Are you? They were looking me? at it, but they couldn't see it because the camera was too blurry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy. It's so easy. We have moving advertisements. We have clocks that move in the boards. They have. S- they have ads on the glass that aren't real. They're only projected for the TV. Overlaid. I watched a dragon on a TV show die, and I cried. That's how realistic it was, and they can't put cameras in the boards. Spoilers. No, I'm talking about uh, last season. No, I'm talking about last season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're not caught up at this point, you can... It's absolutely... It- I'm all for being wrong in this argument. I really am open to being wrong in this argument, but I refuse to even have the damn argument until the NHL bucks up and puts cameras on the boards and uses the upcoming smart puck technology. Next series, Carolina swept the Islanders. Amazing. Bunch of jerks. We're rooting for them all the way. San Jose Carolina finals. Book it. Next series. Congratulations on congratulations to St. Louis and Boston. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all know. Okay, before we even talk about this, we all know because everybody in the hockey world likes St. Louis, San Jose, and Carolina by and large, that Boston is absolutely winning the cup at this point, right? Yes. We're all in agreement. Kim we know Rask this is happening. is a freak. Mm-hmm. But Boston fans want to get rid of him because Boston fans are the worst. Because they love Tim Thomas more. Yeah. America. And Boy. Land of the free. Bears. Uh, I always preach the biggest difference in any NHL playoff series is a hot goalie. Tuka Rask, what, posted a 937 that series or something I, it stupid It was higher like that. than that. Yeah. He was at, he's absolutely nuts. I think in the last three games, his save percentage was like 9-7 something. Yeah, and he, his goals against, I think, for the series like 1-4, 1-7 maybe. Just a freak. He well, out-dueled Bobrovsky, who didn't, was, didn't have a great series. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Columbus didn't look as good. Yeah. I think I think people don't give Boston as much credit as they deserve, but I think Boston really does live and die by their first line. But when their first line's going, those other lines also chime in at the same time. When Boston's first line isn't going, those lines don't step up nearly as much as they need them to. 
through 13 games, he has a 938. Sorry. I think Jesus. there was something like... But no, we get a, the Boston fans hate him. They need to trade him. Play Halak. It was every centerman who had gone against Patrice Bergeron so far in this series, like lineup, lineup. It was like four of them. I can't remember who they are now. Like Matthews, uh, Duchesne, and then two others. And they those four had four goals while he was on the ice, excluding power Yeah, plays. they're getting caved. That's the thing with Boston's top line. You can be a top-heavy team, but when you can't actually stop that top line, no matter how hard you try, does it really matter? Everybody knows what Boston's all about. They know that they got to contain that line and then do work when the other lines are on the ice. Just don't let the other three lines score them more than one goal combined and you're probably fine. But they can't because Tukarask is back there. It's it's crazy. Boston is much better than I think I I, I certainly gave them credit for. Um well, so I mean which means they're not going to win the cup when I say it, so. No, they're no, cuz the entire hockey world's going to be angry. If Boston wins the cup at this point, so it's going to happen. I think almost the entire like North American sporting world will be upset if another Boston area team wins. Yeah, it's well, you got to feel for Boston at least a little bit. It's been what four months since that city's won a major championship. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. It's hard. And how many years have we been using that joke? Honestly, uh, the other half of the NHL, St. Louis, San Jose. Uh, St. Louis actually, in my mind, isn't a surprising team to be making it this far. They were the hottest team by a country mile in the second half of the uh, NHL regular season. Um, continue their great streak. Bennington has been great when he's needed to be great. Um, it's great to see uh, Patrick Maroon score the series-winning goal. At yeah, home say, they've been great, but it's still so Game 7 overtime. Yeah, Game 7 all, overtime where anything can happen. Although, someone please check Ben Bishop to make sure he's still on an IV drip and a ventilator. Holy, because, what a what a game seven he had. He, yeah. he, they, the shots were what like fifty five to twenty at one point. Through there was like a sixty minute stretch or a forty five minute stretch where the chances were thirty one to three. Do you think there was a point after in overtime in game seven Andrew Cogliano missed that empty net that um, the next. TV timeout or intermission, whatever came first, that Ben Bishop literally just took a stick and tomahawked Andrew Cogliano. <laughs> it's possible. Well, you you tweeted out at one point, Brad, oh, Dallas is definitely winning this. And I agreed. I was like, there's no way that after We've, all of this injustice for St. Louis, like this, that screamed like the, the game where Detroit had like 45 chances on Jonathan Bernier when he was with the Leafs and yeah. ended up losing. Like it was just the same vibes. And I was, I like, was, I was at a Toronto-Detroit game in person where Detroit outshot Toronto 44-20 to and lost 2-1 in a shootout with James Ryan in that yeah that's the vibe i was getting i'm not un, like i'm not sad or i'm not like happy that or sorry i'm not happy that dallas lost but i am happy that the better team in my mind did win that series i think st louis if they're ever going to get a chance to win their cup boy is this a good year for them a lot of competition moved out of the way four more wins to get to the cup finals and they're going to run into an insanely good team but still you say boston or sorry did you say st louis st louis yeah, yeah. oh my god this could be the year St. Louis finally does it. They finally could avenge the Bobby Air flying through the air goal. <laughs> it could happen. It could yeah. be. Uh, or it's Marshan flying through the air this year, and that's an even bigger meltdown. They put another. They put a statue up of Bar- Marshan doing the same thing. <laughs> what did Merrick tweet out? He's like, the dream of Thornton winning a, a cup in Boston still lives, or something like that. <laughs> oh, Holy shit, yeah. could you imagine? That would be hysterical. Anyone, Boston, obviously, if you're looking by all metrics and probabilities, are the odds-on favorite. I think 40% of the athletic writers picked them to win, um, with Carolina coming in at the lowest with a 6% chance. 
But in my mind, with the way these playoffs have gone, uh, how are you going to confidently predict, right? No, you can't confidently predict anything. So let's confidently predict. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> I can't pick against my heart here because my heart says memes and it says Carolina. And my heart says better pick for Detroit, so it says San Jose. I think St. Louis comes through. I think Boston goes through. Genuinely, if you're asking me, like, analysis-wise, I think those two teams have been too good. I think Tuka Rask has been too good. And they just need one or two of Pasternak, Marshawn, Bergeron, Krejci to have a good game. Um, and I think St. Louis has just been insane for so long now. Boston is up 3-2 three, three All right, now. so Damn what's, it all. Your, what's your prediction? Uh, St. Louis-Boston final with St. Louis winning their first ever cup. Oh, sorry, I meant just for these series. And St. how Louis. many games? I'll take St. Louis in six, and I'll take Boston in six. Well, I'm not going next. It's, we're going clockwise. Okay. I'm also going to go Boston in six, and I'm going to die inside. Uh, but I'm going to go San Jose in seven via controversial call. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then... Just following the status quo for the playoffs. Just so stacking up your soapboxes, eh? You I just am... want to stand taller and taller. No, this is me... <laughs> Just going with the flow and not overthinking things. If this is the best predictor of future events is past events, Ryan. Hey, don't use, don't use my stuff against me. Now I need to work in ethereal rem in, into my uh, prediction somehow. <laughs> or the inevitable heat death of the universe, which is what's going to happen if Boston wins a cup. True. So my, my preference, sorry, I'll work this improperly for you, Ryan. My preference of how I hope the rest of this playoffs works out is San Jose Cup, St. Louis Cup, Carolina Cup, Heat Death of the Universe, then Boston Cup. I liked it better when you guys didn't listen to the words I said. <laughs> True. Um, let's see. What should I do? God, I wish Carolina was going to win, but I just don't think they can. I, you know what? They've ran into better defensive teams, but like Boston is such a hot team right now. I'll say Boston is seven in that series just to provide something different. And then I'll go, oh, God. I think Martin Jones's shelf life has got to end at some point. Oh, no way. He's shitting rocket fuel right now. Yeah, I know. It's absurd. So I'll go St. Louis and, oh, God. Let's say seven. I got two game sevens. Let's just keep it going with the game sevens. Now, what do we want? All of us agree, Carolina, San Jose. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Better pick for Detroit because if San Jose makes the cup finals or they resign Nyquist, their 2023rd that they acquired from San Jose turns into a second. And Carolina to watch uh, Don Cherry combust. Yes. Yes. Especially since Carolina would be knocking out Don Cherry's team. Oh, God. Yeah. Just pure uh, poetry. But what I'm really hoping for is a San Jose win over Boston in game six of the cup finals. And Joe Thornton scores the overtime winner. And it's his fourth goal of the game, and chaos reigns in the <laughs> post-game celebration. <laughs> Everyone's talking about, oh, Detroit's uh, rival this or Detroit's rival that. You know what? Detroit's had a r- lot of rivals. To me, all of that stuff kind of dies down when Detroit's not even competitive. I'm just here for wild hockey. I can make an argument that every team remaining in the playoffs is a Detroit rival in some capacity. St. Louis for the Central Division forever. San Jose for all those playoff matchups. Boston because it's actually a division rival right now. And Carolina because of the 0-2 finals. And because they have the uh, defensemen that I want. Which are literally any defensemen that they have. <laughs> uh, and they have the other Svechnikov. We need, they took the other Svechnikov brother from us. Which was rude, right? Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Brad Marchand thing. You guys know we're, we're some of the first to make it Which open. one? 
Yeah, no, I, that's a legitimate question. What are you getting at here? Well, his, his short answers after the game. Was oh, it, was it like, I thought that was funny. Why does everyone care so much? Because it's why he did it. People love to get bent out of shape about Brad Marchand. It's almost, I bet you it's sport for I've done it. For sure I've done it, but the guy's also a superstar hockey player. Okay, listen, I I, I love the concept of Brad Marchand for the NHL. Yeah. But it's because I love to hate him. And when you're being a little baby because Kyle Bukowski, what's his name? Bukowskis. Bukowskis. Uh, That's a risky last name. (laughs) (laughs) For all you (laughs) young listeners, don't look into that one. (laughs) Anyways, uh, because he asked him a couple games earlier in a pregame interview if he was going to break another stick or something like that, and Marchand gets so butthurt about it that he can't give him an answer in his next interview. Stupid. They should just keep going back to those two interviewing each other after games. I want, keep it going. I want nothing more than if Boston wins the cup, Marchand's going to be running around smiling, and then they point him for an interview, and Bukaskis is just sitting there with the biggest shit-eating grin saying, yeah, I got you for three minutes, champ. <laughs> That'll be great. Is that what you were talking about? The short answers? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so much Brad Marchand news at any given moment that it's kind of stupid to try and pin down any single point. Yeah. So that was good. That's good enough. Anything else that we should talk about before we move to overtime? No, yeah. Um, I'm getting I'm getting yelled at via text messages to move this shit along. <laughs> not by Evan. Evan, are you texting Brad? No. You well actually Brad Evan's not usually subtle about it. He just says, Oh, I gotta go, so let's wrap this up. Like, yeah. <laughs> that more growth. Evan hasn't done that in a while. It's good for, good for podcasting. We're gonna get to overtime where our patrons uh get their comments and questions read read out on air, guaranteed as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Obviously, our midweek episodes have only Patreon overtime questions. Uh Joseph Delia says, if Byron was still available at six, is a hot dog a sandwich or not? That one caught me so I surprised. It doesn't matter. Uh I if Byron's available at six, a hot dog is still not a sandwich. Or use his real question, could Igor I think there's a yeah from Muskegon slipped the yep. wings in the second round. Oh, very possible. I'd say likely. I didn't misread his name. That's literally how he typed it out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rowan, I already read out one of your questions, uh, but one of his other ones said, if you're Chicago at three, are you sticking with uh, Scott's rankings or taking someone else? Scott's rankings. Yeah, I'd take Turk out of three if I'm Chicago. Discussed. Jersey time. Preferred color palette for, for Seattle. And why is it the old North Stars colors without the black? Uh, that's the only okay first of all i prefer the north stars with the black but if we're going an appropriate color scheme for seattle just basically take the hartford whalers jersey and roll with what color scheme is really lacking in the nhl there's not much red and blues are green man green green, and blue there's dallas green and blue who's where who's rocking the whalers right (laughs) now minnesota by the way, I stand by the fact that if Hartford, if Carolina wore their Hartford Whalers jerseys against Boston, they'd win in five. But um, yeah, no, the the green, white, and blue. We need and Seattle's. Look at Seattle's entire city. The Mariners are some variation of green and blue. The Seahawks are a variation of green and blue. I think the Supersonics back in the day were green and blue. The Thunderbirds are green and blue. They can't um, not be green and blue. <laughs> you got your answer, I think. Jeff Chen says, howdy, fellas. I just wanted to comment on the Datsuk speculations. First of all, I would love to bring him back on a one-year deal. He was one of my favorite players, and it just seems fitting to have him be a Red Wing when he finally hangs him up. And second, just imagine our power play with him on the team. He essentially means automatic zone entry with possession, something that we haven't had, although Larkin is getting better at it, just my two cents. That's presuming he's still the same Datsuk as years past. I just want Datsuk to get the puck and set up Zadina for bombs for a season. That's all I want. 
That's all uh, I need in my life, really. Garrett TV says, did any of you guys, read Ryan, see what happened in the Champions League semifinal second legs this week? Holy shit, was that crazy. Did you guys catch that? I'm aware of what happened. I don't care about soccer that much. It was bedlam, like absolute mayhem. Oh, yeah, it was the craziest soccer's ever been. I'm like we're all Liverpool. I'm a Liverpool fan, so you two also have to be Liverpool fans. No. I don't care. Yes, you're both Liverpool fans. No, I'm. Uh, we're Steve fans Eisenman's of our, the, uh, the Seagulls. Brighton, Hope, Bright, uh, yeah. yeah, we're but we're primarily, you know, who Steve Eisenman's a fan of? No, the Red Wings, the Reds, Liverpool. Aren't the Reds Manu? No, no, the Reds are Cincinnati. That's baseball, Ryan. Throw oh, he's a Joey Votto fan. <laughs> confirmed. Throw punches for both of you after this episode. Um... <laughs> First, Liverpool's epic comeback over Barca, but then my Spurs with the unreal second half, three goals showing to head to the final. Holy Firk, Tottenham has been my team for many years, and seeing them score in the final minute of stoppage time uh, to go to the final just about had me in tears. This is second behind only a wing Stanley Cup finals in terms of my sports happiness level. Tune in for all the uh, for the all-English final in a few weeks. Come on, you Spurs, and go wings. I'm so confused. The Spurs are basketball, and which team does Royal Baby play for again? Philip Gastineau <laughs> says, hope you guys are doing well. Thoughts on having Holland's name in the rafters? I think it would be well deserved. Um, no, you don't put execs. Put a statue up front, but statue. Yeah, but a nice do, plaque. Yeah, uh, I don't like the dilution of retired jerseys in the rafters. Um, every time I log into Patreon, I feel like you guys have more patrons than a lot time before. Thank you guys. Uh, Th- thank you guys, but that's kind of the point. <laughs> uh, you guys are doing great, well deserved. When is Max going to become an official part of the official crew? When you guys get a deal with the Athletic? Hey, man, one day, one day. Come to the negotiating table. Yep. The only thing, I, the only thing I need in that contract or the negotiation is a new chair. <laughs> My ass hurts so bad every uh, episode. K one get more says, muscle in it. Yeah, seriously. We might need a standing desk. Oh, we're not doing that. A is podcast. not. I need happening. an ergonomic assessment over here because I got a hunch like Quasimodo. No. How fucking old are you? Uh, old enough. <laughs> K was says, "What's up, boys? I'm currently looking for places to live in the great state of Mississippi because I'm going to my next part of the training." Um, essentially I'm going to fly planes off of a boat, a really big boat. And I'm super pumped. Oh, he said, Oh my God, that plane is so cool. What? It looks like a fighter jet. I probably is. Uh, honestly, how do the Canes and Bruins match up? This is something I just don't know how to gauge (sighs) chaos versus proper structure. Yeah. You know what? The, it's hard because so much of what the teams actually are projected to do has gone out the window this playoffs. So we can talk to you about, you know, the Hurricanes having a hard time finding scoring in the early part of the season, but really finding that touch or uh, the Bruins not winning games when their superstars don't contribute. But we've seen all that go out the window. Um, Boston is the favored team in a lot of ways. But Carolina has gone up being the non-favorite team, what, twice now? So it's really kind of hard to measure. Um, it would be an upset, upset in my mind if Carolina did win, but Boston has the edge right now in scoring. Uh, they have the edge yep, right now. They are now. up 3-2. Yes, and they have an edge right now, the edge right now in a hot goaltender. Curtis McElhinney, is no, like he's been played great in the three games he's I been in. I thought was playing tonight. Is he in tonight? They said he was a game-time decision, but if he was ready, he was playing. So, you know, if I have to rely on one goalie, I'm relying on Tuka Rask, and to me, that's the biggest difference maker. Um, second question, I think Gus has been doing a pretty nice job for San Jose, or am I wrong? He seems to be doing a really nice job getting initial offense set up, winning board battles, which is good to see from a player that has serious skills. Yeah, I thought he's been effective for them. He's been fine. He's, he's proving to be an effective second, third-line winger, which 
is ideally in Detroit scenario right now. The more I think about it, not someone you want to pay five, six million dollars a year. So he looks like he's got a lot more jump in his step in the San Jose systems than he ever did in under Jeff Blashill's. It's amazing what a little help will do for a guy. Yeah. Uh, Luke Johnson says, "Do you think there's any possibility of the Wings moving up in the draft? Moving up? No, no, no it won't happen. Um, there's too much talent available, and right now, I think there's a serious disconnect between what we value and what the scouting teams value. I really think a lot of teams are still very high on Doc and Cousins. God, please let. So we might be crying because Byram and Turcotte aren't there, but I can really see the Red Wings group being excited because Doc and Cousins will be there because of that. So." I don't see value and, and you know what if I still don't I don't see a situation where Detroit should it's a free asset it's a free top end asset Chris Cannell says hey boys is it just me or is it weird thinking that Ken Holland is not in the Red Wings org uh, also I'm sure you guys have talked about this already but what are your thoughts on signing Oliver uh, Kasky does he have an NHL future and thoughts on Gustav Lidstrom coming over next season yeah we didn't even talk about yeah, that yeah that's gonna be the Sunday episode talk yeah. because I don't think the Kasky it's not official it's not official yet so I, I don't know uh, A1 work as always guys have a good one uh, that's all for us thank you guys so much I hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Scott we'd like to thank all of our uh, Patreon supporters all of our listeners uh, our name level sponsors Sky Carcass Luke Johnson Arjun Shanker Clayton Van Dyken Mike Reed Langabeer Kalen Wood Charlie Elkins Rob Thiel Stan Olson Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis Dan Bell Hannah Lee thank you all so much uh, if you guys have any other interviews that you want to see happen best ways to just tweet at the people let them know uh, we have a lot lot of good content queued up for you coming up to the draft but we have a lot of off-season content to fill as well so let us know who you want to hear from uh stay cool stay tuned and we'll see you on sunday thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah wwp and at hockey town evan